0: Hello and welcome to Mosaic Station. Thank you for listening. We really, really appreciate your participation and your uh, availability. And you could listen to anything, but you're listening to this. So thank you. Um, We are going to have a wonderful, uh, wonderful group of people uh, who are about to share their thoughts and their feelings This is all coordinated by our wonderful student leaders on this campus. Um, So they're going to take over the show in a little bit. But for those of you who may want to create a podcast with Mosaic, um, you can reach out to mosaic at sjsu.edu. Also, the views and thoughts and opinions and the feelings. Um, that are about to be shared. Um, Speak to the individuals and the individuals alone. They do not represent the university. Um, And please note that there are systematic issues within higher ed that lead to these thoughts and feelings. So um, there's that. Um, And then also if um, you are sensitive to Uh, language that you deem inappropriate like swearing please know that people are expressing themselves in their authentic ways and we honor that in mosaic station and through this podcast Um, and so that's something that i like to say ahead of time and now i'm going to kick it over to our wonderful facilitators (laughs) yay Okay,
1: so hello everybody. My name is Jasmine. My pronouns are she, her, hers. I work at the Cesar Chavez Community Action Center as an in-solidarity program assistant.
2: Hello everybody. My name is Alma and my pronouns are she, her, hers. And I work at the Chicanx Latinx Student Success Center as a student success leader.
1: Yay. Okay, so to start off this podcast, I really wanted to dig into, well, who all of you are, so we can start off with introductions with you beautiful ladies.
3: Yeah, hi everyone, my name is Elisa Aquino, my pronouns are she, her, ella, and that is a little bit about me. That's not much about me, actually. So, (laughs) Do you want me to go more in depth? Where
4: do you work
3: at? Great question, I'm the program coordinator at the Chicanx Latinx Student Success Center and I work with online and, and all these lovely folks around me. Yeah.
5: Hi everybody, <clears throat> my name is Armani Donahue, I'm the program coordinator of African American Black Student Success Center. Um, my pronouns are she, her, hers as well. I graduated from San Jose State in May 2018, now I work here. And yeah, I'm glad I get to work with everybody at this table as well, so.
6: All right, cool. All right, everybody. My name is Jenny. My pronouns are she, her, hers. I work as an educational programmer for the Gender Equity Center here at San Jose State. Um, Like Armani, I graduated from San Jose State a few years back. I've been out of undergrad for about five years. Um, And I feel very honored to be on this podcast and to share
0: space with some really amazing women of color. Thanks. Hi, I am Sharon Singh. My pronouns are she, her, hers. I'm the program coordinator for Mosaic Cross-Cultural Center. I'm also alumni of SJSU. I did my undergraduate work here in sociology, and I did my master's of education in um, uh, higher ed and student affairs at University of San Francisco. Um, yeah. Cool. So I
1: guess to start off the podcast, we can start with our first question is, um, how would you describe your family dynamic? And before we jump to that, I kind of just wanted to give an example of like how I think I describe my family dynamic and that's my family is more of a matriarchy, is how I see it, because I was raised by a lot of very strong women within my family. Um, So like all of my aunts, especially on my mom's side had, a really good hand in uplifting me and like raising me and I would say like even though there were some like Latinx machismo with, within my family and like it's always still like that whole idea of like the men being in power um, I didn't see it in that way because the women are so strong and like they taught me to be very independent and I'm very different in a sense to where I question everything and I'm just, like, I don't take anything from, like, the men in my family. Um, So that's how I would describe my family dynamics. So I was just wondering if anybody has similar stories to that where you see it as a matriarchy or if it was kind of just, like, not like that at all, but you tended to, like, branch out
2: of that. Um, I feel for, like, myself kind of relate to what you said, Jasmine. Um because in the, my family my mom was the one with how they say in Spanish con los pantalones bien puestos um, she was the one that was in charge of our family because my dad was rarely there because he was constantly working even though um she was the one that was like she was the boss in the family um there was a bit of like machismo from time to time with like how they would treat my brothers and then how they would treat me and my younger sister.
3: And yeah. Yeah, I could definitely relate to both of you as also uh, being Latinx. In my family, my mom is also very much the the leader in the family. And it's mainly because my dad most of my life was dealing with alcoholism. And so part of that really caused him to be uh, renewed from the family. But it caused my mom to also pick up extra shifts and you know to work a lot more to be able to provide for the family so I think when I describe my family dynamic I definitely see that the women in the family definitely like are a lot more grounded and i have always been the ones that have been caring for me like um, my, my aunt also helped raise me uh, mainly because my mom was always working and so I was always surrounded by these really powerful women and if it weren't for those female figures in my life, I don't think I would also see myself as also being so, um, you know, being able to also be so powerful. Um, but I think also just growing up with my dad and him not being very much in the picture, I would say that that's also um, what kind of affected me in the ter- in the sense that I do- I feel like I'm not very trustworthy of men. Mm-hmm. A lot of the times, and I'm very much like, it's like I have a huge wall in between, and you have to really like knock it down, um, and that's kind of why I had this like struggle of just being trustworthy with men in general.
4: Mm-hmm.
5: <clears throat> I I think I'll also agree. Um, I think women are just we're brought up as girls a lot differently than boys are um taking care of responsibilities and really holding things together is kind of an expectation of ours that i feel like boys don't always have i don't want to speak for everybody but um i just think it's very unique for women of color it just seems like male figures either aren't around or there are just different reasons why they don't take the active role uh for me personally um I would say that it was, I had a lot of strong um, women in my life and, you know, like, I'll speak, I'll speak partially for the black community. I feel like there are, there have been systematic reasons um, why black men have not been able to be active members of families, be it um, the prison system or just different things that happen in neighborhoods that take their life for whatever reason, Um, be it physically take their life, mentally take their life. Um, You know, like just being tied to different things that it's hard to escape once you're a part of it. And it's it's made it really challenging. But it's just somehow like women always step up to the plate. And um, it just seems like women always have to make it happen. And I don't I don't know how a lot of families would survive without that support. So, I would just I would say for me personally, I've just had a lot of women, and um, it just seems like men have had a difficult time trying to hold the same balance. Or, yeah, that's I guess that's the best way I could put it at this time. Yeah.
6: Thanks for sharing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for me. You know, I think it's a lot to process when you're thinking about, like, your whole family dynamics and how it's really shaped who you are and shaped who I am. Um, But for me in particular, I have um, five older sisters. I have no brothers. Um, So I grew up around a lot of women, which is great. um, But in a sense, um, our family dynamics is more patriarchal. And so my dad... Whatever he says goes, Um, but I'm first generation. My parents um, immigrated here in the 90s. My dad was um, in the Vietnam War, and I think a lot of that really impacted who he is now, Um, his mental health, the way that he deals with his emotions, his anger, um, and that has a very severe impact on my upbringing, and so, Um, I've seen a lot of abusive and unhealthy behaviors happening within my family and then repeated over in cycles with my sisters and their partners thereafter. Um, So a lot of it was just growing up around this normalization of what men say go and that it's okay to be um, talked down to or it's normalized to be treated like shit. Um, And these messages over time, it's really like, made me a very passive person, um, so I'm not very confrontational, um, but that's something that, like, as we move through, um, higher ed, like, experience and going to college and having the opportunity to really contextualize and really think deeper about how that's impacted me, it's also shaped how I want to be as a woman now and how I want to model that for future, um, women who come into our center, um, you know, and that's why I'm doing the work that I do in the Gender Equity Center, um, not just for cis women, right? When we're talking about like, trans women, non-binary
0: folks, and just minority gender identities.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So I'm the, uh, the outsider, I guess, in a lot of ways. Um, I grew up in, in two different house- households because my parents were divorced. Um, all I can say about my mom is she's a boss. She's, she's, she was a boss, she's been a boss, and she continues to be a boss, and um, I didn't always get along with her, but, you know, it's all love, and um, she's a Gemini, if that makes any sense. (laughs) (laughs) Um, As far as my dad, um, he, you know, growing up, he would never raise his voice at us um, and specifically me he i remember one instance when he like spanked me but otherwise he never raised his hand (coughs) sorry his hand to me or any of uh of my siblings and i remember it was an undergrad i took a sociology of uh, uh or violence in the family class uh with susan murray who is amazing um here at san jose state and I was talking to him about what I was studying and what I want to do in the future, and he he opened up to me, and he's and he and I have this relationship where we would talk, we would talk about anything and everything, and we still do. Um, and he told me about what he experienced growing up from his own father, my grandfather, um, and how when he was eleven, he was beaten so hard he ran away from home, and. When he started, you know, I'm his first child. When he had me, he kind of made a promise to never be violent with his own children. And my dad's really broken that cycle of violence. So I grew up with a father, right, who has always supported me, who's challenged me, but in a way that's always with love and care and strength and um, treated me with respect, um, you know, incidents where, um, we're hanging out with family and we're run out of alcohol. And he's like, Sharon, go, go and get it, you know, at like 11 at night. And my aunts are freaking out, like, you can't send her. She's a girl. My dad's like, why? She's not drunk and she can drive. Right. So like in that lens of like, no, she's an equal. She can take her, take care of herself. She can hold on to her own and treating me, not like one of the the boys, necessarily, but treating me with, like, I have agency and I'm powerful. Um, but definitely not the rest of my family, right? I see it with my, my cousins. Like, they don't always have agency, right? Um, it's gotten better. But in South Asian, Pacific Islander culture, right, it is still very much, you know... Men have the say they have the last word and you know I'm 31 I'm married and I'm into a new family now I have a new family is what I mean and I see it pop up in different ways um in my partner's family as well and so yeah I I feel very fortunate and lucky that my family dynamics um allowed me to also question and be like radical without me realizing it because it was so normalized in many ways too
2: yeah Uh, i just want to take time to appreciate you guys all for opening up and talking about your family dynamic and some of you guys touched up on the following question which is in reference to the first question how has your family dynamic affected your decisions in life or shaped you to be who you are today and i don't know if one of you want to go first
5: i can share first um so a couple weeks ago um my grandma passed away on my dad's side so it's it's something about death that brings people together in Mm -hmm. in a strange way that it shouldn't have to take death for people to talk about different things or to have conversations with each other be together as a family but um so one thing that I was able to talk to my dad about was how his absence affected me as like growing up and making maybe not the best decisions for myself in love or just trying to understand um, the world because there's just like a lack of balance in our world and I just feel like not having like that constant male figure in my life that should technically be there at all times. that can be um how that can really affect us so i was able to tell him like uh he just he when i shared one specific part of um of my my history with him and he was just like oh my gosh it's my fault i wasn't there and it's like i don't want to say that that specific thing that happened in my life wasn't or was your fault but i will say that the decisions that i have made maybe up until that point or the things i did After that probably was, quote, your fault because you weren't there. I didn't know I could reach out to you or different things. Um, But overall, like, just the family dynamic that I did experience, I would say that it's helping me become a stronger woman. And um, just knowing that, like I said, even though there is a lack of balance, I don't have to keep that paradigm and Mm -hmm. just trying to see that my, like, different people in my family are trying to uh, what did you said something like change your dad he like changed the yeah
0: he like broke that cycle yeah you know um,
5: yeah. yeah and and I think like a lot of a lot of people I'll just speak generally like to everybody we need to break a lot of cycles to really heal a lot yeah. of stuff that's happened to our ancestors that we've continued yeah. to pass down like yeah. if we if we see it we need to Feel it, address it, and move on. Because there's no way that we'll be able to heal it if we don't feel it. That's what I was having a conversation with someone about last night. And, like, we just, like, if we see the way out and we might not have all the steps to get there, we need to just talk about it because someone else might have an alternative way of being able to do that. But, yeah, I just think, I think so far my mom is just teaching me to be more direct. So that's Mm -hmm. what I would say. Um, just being direct and being transparent, and it's okay. Yeah. So, I
0: think yeah. that's kind of bouncing off mm-hmm. of that. I think that's one thing that I've taken away from my culture and, like, the culture in general, like, how women of color are told to be quiet and not put mm-hmm. their dirt, right. their Seen, family things yeah. in the open. Yeah. And that's led to that, like, intergenerational trauma to produce and reproduce over and over again. And we've gone come to a place now, right, like what Jenny was saying, like to be purposeful about the work that we do and make sure that we do it with intention, right? We do it, we, the work that we do or the way that we live our lives is no longer hidden away and, like, put into different compartments.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm. yeah um, what you were saying about healing like that, that in its own takes a lot of work, and I yes. think that's, that's something that I'm trying to implement in my own routine and you know that's something really hard I think even a question for you all but how do you practice like that healing process or because it's it's very much you know like a takes a lot of time to heal mm-hmm. and work on practices or um things that you've experienced in your life in a day on a daily basis because for my um for my family or the family dynamics um in my family my my father was very much like emotionally abusive to my mom. Uh, I saw a lot of like, what? Yeah, so in my family, I think I just experienced a lot of seeing emotional abuse and different types of abuse and, you know, thinking about how I'm going to heal and ensure that my, you know, future generations... Don't replicate that same action. It's really important for me to be able to stop that cycle. Cause I definitely saw a therapist from fourth grade all the way through through high through school, and it was really difficult to even you know, just trying. To, sorry, no. It was really difficult trying to. You know, um, stop a lot of actions that I was doing, because I know now I don't come off as the way I was back then, but I was definitely very violent, mm-hmm. and, and I feel really bad for my mom because she knew I was hurting. From everything I was experiencing at home so I really appreciate just the warmth and her patience with me as I was you know trying to change a lot of my actions and you know throughout middle school and even high school I was replicating a lot of the actions my dad was doing too and so it took a lot of work patience and just you know talking to my therapist and you know really working with myself and ensuring that I don't you know continue that cycle and so for me it's really important in the work that I do that that I treat everyone with respect and love because you never know what other people are experiencing mm-hmm. you know even if someone is having a bad day and maybe you know they come off a little bit upset with me or whatnot you know I I never take it personally because you never know what people are experiencing.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And so, yeah, like, I don't know, just healing is such a long process and it's never ending. Mm. And so for me, I just hope that, you know, if I ever have kids, that it doesn't also go, you know, to those generations, but in our, in my community, so I'm also walking up uh, Zapotec, you know what I guess now we call intergenerational trauma. We we say that it is in the sangre, like it's in your blood. A lot of these um, actions that you know my dad has, it's in my blood. Sometimes it comes out, and so you know how do I stop that from replicating in the future? So I don't know. Just healing takes a lot of work and. It also means digging back into those wounds, mm-hmm. and you know, ensuring that you you just take care of yourself too. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
5: And I think I think you were also asking, um, like, what are some of the things that we do, yeah. like, to start that healing process? Um, I think some of the things that have helped me in these last couple of months. Uh, is just awareness Mm -hmm. because you know like when we're children we don't know we're just we're we might not be aware that the things that we do are replications of our parents and like how they cope or whatever they're going through but um the older you get and like the more aware that you are i just think it also helps having like friends that are willing to tell you the real Mm. like if you If you've if you've had a friend that's um, long term and they've seen you grow, or maybe they're new and you're just trying to find like new parts of your life, um, I just think it really helps to like really reflect on like okay, what probably attracted this person into my life at this time? Mm -hmm. What can I learn from them? What are some things that they probably notice about me? Or just if you don't know, ask because. Mm -hmm. Why be in a friendship if you can't share mm-hmm. or um, be honest about, like, your interaction with someone? So I would just I would just say what's helped me right now is just being, like, more aware and not being afraid to ask those hard questions that I know I want to work on anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but it, it is hard. But that's that's only the first step I know. I don't really know much beyond that besides working on it, but. I don't
1: know yeah I think I've definitely been learning that a lot especially recently I've been meeting these new friends who have been honest with me and who have been really trying to help me heal Um, but I think also I try to go to therapy too and um, it is hard because especially like I personally have been diagnosed with anxiety and depression so it's like That's something that I'm also working through. And it's like now that I'm older, I'm starting to see like more of these childhood traumas that like I have. And I feel like when it comes to my own healing and sometimes I think my parents don't understand is that I need space from them. So I've always been like the person who I'm ready to leave wherever I am. So I went to community college. I'm from the Central Valley. I decided to go to community college in San Diego, because I was like, I don't want to be here. And then I transferred here. So now I'm here. And like, people are like, when are you going to come back home? So it's like, of course, I would want to make change when I'm back home. But I've already made the decision for myself that like, being back home is not necessarily somewhere that I want to be, because I feel more depressed there. And it's like, Sometimes when you go back to a space that has so much hurt, even if you love it, it can, like, bring that back. So, like, I know my parents, like, always tell me, like, don't be a stranger, like, text us more often. But I'm just, like, I just like being here and, like, creating creating myself as, like, my own person. Because sometimes you get caught back into those old ways as to like how you used to be because sometimes i feel like when i'm back home i can be a brat and i'm like i also have like weird relationships with my parents or sometimes it's just like not really good but sometimes it can be really good and i think because i have taken myself out of certain situations and i've learned to be more independent that that has helped me like a lot in my growth and like obviously it's as Elisa said, like you're always working on healing, especially because it is like generational. It's like you're continuing to take on the hurt from your family and also trying to heal them, but also heal yourself. So it's like a lot of work that we have taken on. And I think especially as women, like we take on that like really hard because at least for myself, like as the oldest daughter, And granddaughter I have like taken care of my siblings and like my cousins so when people in my family have kids I'm like that's not just your kid that's my kid too Mm -hmm. (laughs) so I'm like I also take care of them I also have them in mind like all the time and sometimes I feel guilty for like being away from them because I'm not able to help them heal either
6: Um, yeah, I really appreciate you all kind of sharing parts of your story. Um, I feel, oh, I feel like, sorry, I'm soft-spoken. Um, what I mean is that I, I see a little bit of my stories within how you're telling yours, and I really resonate with them. Um, you know, Jazz, when you're talking about going away to college, it's, for me, that's when, for the first time, I was starting to, learned that I was in an abusive relationship with my family and in my household, but I couldn't leave for the longest time because the one thing tying me down was my mom, you know? And like, I felt like I needed to protect her. I felt like I needed to stay. Um, And it took me so long, you know, to finally get to that point where like, I had to let her go and take care of me. And that was tough. It felt shitty. But if I didn't get, get out of that house, which I get, if I couldn't get out of there, I couldn't like, see myself surviving. Um, so I, I moved out um, towards the end of college and it hurts to know or not know what's going on at home. Um, and my mom's been through a lot of abuse growing up. My father was verbally abusive, physically abusive. And you know, I wait to the day where I can tell my story without crying, cause it still sucks, and it still it still hurts me. Some days I don't cry, some days I do. Um, but right, we once we tell our story, it becomes the world, and the more we share it, the more we get to kind of open ourselves up a little bit more. To and start to realize we have a lot of shared narratives around abuse, around trauma. Um, what I'm very thankful for, though, is that through my college college experience is being surrounded and meeting more and more people who are having these conversations. But in particular, women of color, we're here, we're at the table, we're talking about it, we're cultivating space to like do the work. And like kind of going back to what Armani said, a lot of the times it's very quiet. And we have a lot of women in the background who are like, holding it down for us, um, it just takes a second to really think deeply about, you know, how do we do that for ourselves and then how, we can't give what we don't have, so if we can't heal ourselves, we can't start healing others and giving that back, so, you know, I'm kind of working on that thing of like, it feels selfish, but I can't give what I don't have, if I don't heal myself, I can't mm-hmm. do that for someone else.
0: But that's going back to the question of like, what is your healing process? I think being selfish, mm-hmm. taking yeah. care of yourself, especially when we do this work, right? Um, that's part of, of it. Like we, you know, that whole like, analogy that everyone uses, like if the plane's going down and the mask is there, they tell you to put it on yourself first. And, you know, I think it's easier said than done though, right, because as the older sibling myself, You know, I, you know, feel a lot of guilt. I think if I could sum up my 20s in one word, it would be guilt. Guilt for, you know, pursuing my education, guilt for not being there when I, I think I should have, right? Even if my parents are saying, like, go, like, leave, do what you got to do. There's just a lot of guilt because my mom was in an abusive relationship and hid it from me um, and when I found out, I could have killed him, <laughs> right, um, not my father, but, um, I ended up packing up her stuff, and, and, and getting her moved out, and one day, when I found out, um, and it was something that, you know, my mom didn't even, like, go, oh, why are you doing this, I was just, like, this is it, like, you're not going through this, and, you know, my siblings aren't going to be put through this. And I think physical abuse and emotional abuse is so ever-present in our communities that it becomes, like, it's here, right? And so for, for my mom, who's a strong person, to have, like, lived through that, you know, is just... I think we get lost sometimes in ourselves and you need someone to help, right? And I think that's what being in a community, right? Like my mom, I remember I was like, you know, 25 and she sat down and she was like, Sharon, you're doing so much better than I could have ever hoped, Mm -hmm. you know, like you're doing what I can't do right now, you know? And those are things that I think at the time, I was just, like, in that mode of, like, gotta help, gotta help, gotta help. But now as I reflect back, right, in my 30s, I'm like, but I got that from you. If, if you knew that I was in your place, you would have done the exact same thing. I learned that from you and my papa. And that's why I was able to do what I was able to do for my family, right? And I think knowing that mindset comes still from them empowers me, right? So, like you know you all sharing that like you know being hurtful to my my mom or leaving my mom but it's like those are things that i think they would want Mm -hmm. you know because they want the best for their kids as much as possible right even if they can't name it or they don't they can't do it in that moment i think they would always want the best possible thing for us Mm -hmm. I think
2: I could relate to a lot of what you guys were talking about because growing up, I had to witness my mom, like, uh, having to deal with everything my dad put her through. And it was, like, like, I love my mom, but then also there was times where I'm, like, like, I hated her for putting herself through it. Like, she, she just stayed there, and she's still there. And it was, like, and then... Like I took in everything that I saw at home and then I put it into school and it was like shitty grades everywhere. And then when I came to high school, my sophomore year it was like the worst school year ever. And I don't know, I felt like I hid everything from my mom because I didn't want her to see that what was happening at home was affecting my grades and I would just put up front that everything was great at school and everything. And then came junior year, I was like, no, like I need to think about myself because if like sports isn't gonna be my way out then school has to be my way out. And I think that's when I reached out to my counselor and was like, just let everything out. And she, I'm beyond thankful for that counselor because, She signed me up for therapy with the therapist, like, in school. And I think just being able to talk to somebody that doesn't know you, that's a stranger, is, I feel like, for me, was better. Because then if I told, like, my close friends or my family, then that's, like, my trauma would become a reality. And that's something I didn't want to deal with. And then, um applying for colleges and having to accept the college um i was determined to pick the farthest one away from home but i feel like coming to san jose was just like the guilt that pulled me closer to home because i was like i can't leave my mom to deal with everything alone and still like having moved out from home completely it's there's that guilt is still there because she's the only one that texts me or calls me like even though she has two jobs she still takes the time to check up on me and then um when my dad calls he's like oh why don't you call me and I was like I'm just like the phone works both ways you can call me like I barely have time to eat so it's like how are you gonna be mad when I don't call you but you call me like and then um like how she said like being the oldest daughter having to take care of my younger siblings and not even just my younger siblings but my older brother as well because like the things he's been through he's just traumatized and doesn't even want to leave the house like he's terrified of leaving the house so I had to grow up taking care of my older brother and my younger siblings when my older brother should have been the one taking care of me and I feel like seeing everything that I did see when growing up of relates to like how I envision my future and it's like recently I had this conversation with my uncle talking about um, me not wanting to get married or have kids and he just straight out just laughed and he was like but that's a woman's job like to get married and have kids and I don't know like I wanted to react and just go off on him but I was like no like I'm not gonna waste my time on somebody that is closed-minded and I feel like also relating to how we can heal I feel like going to therapy helps a lot and I feel like a lot of people are scared to go to therapy because of like they um, relate therapy to being crazy or something but it's like no like having somebody to talk to just to just be there and listen to you completely changes you
5: that's something that I think people of color struggle with, too, because we're always told, like you were saying, Sharon, keep it quiet, don't say anything. But that's that's what we need the most sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I've done therapy. I think you said you've done therapy. You've done therapy. A little bit, uh-huh. on and off. Yeah. i also done Yeah. <laughs> and without therapy, just think of where you might not have been able to process that information, you know. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to go back to something that we said earlier, too. Fuck um. okay.
0: Never mind. I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> or not. We're, we're, we're all uh, emotional and, uh, you know, in it. Um, hopefully you're feeling heard and seen and also now Armani remembers here you go um
5: so going back to the point of like we all need healing like and and a lot of us just express that like we didn't want to leave someone behind um but that's a big responsibility you know like of course that doesn't mean you don't care by not wanting to reach back but at the same time like There's only so much we can even do for ourselves, so, like, if it's a bigger burden to try to, like, even outside of wanting to not leave someone behind, I was just going along with the part of, like, what Jasmine was talking about when she was saying, like, um, when when you're working on your healing, you want to bring your family up, too, or your friends, but not everyone is ready for that Mm -hmm. or wants to make that step, and... I don't think that part is our responsibility if they you don't want to hear us, you know? Like, you can't, what do they say, you can't lead a horse to, to water or something? You know, someone, no, okay. <laughs> okay, whatever. Like, yeah, like, you, you can't force someone to do something if they're not open, willing, or aware enough to do it. So, it's a, it's a big responsibility. So, if you feel as if there are times when you feel like people aren't there or they don't hear you just keep working on you and maybe one day they'll see all the changes that you're making on yourself and then they'll probably be curious or maybe then they'll want to start making changes for themselves so don't
0: Yeah. yeah I think yeah for me it's like I see when I see people like come into their own and I can feel that energy off of them it's like, oh, I, I want to be happy, mm-hmm. you know? Like, I want to feel love. I want to feel joy. I want to feel all the good things, right? And even though my I know for me, my baseline emotion is, like, sadness, right? Because that's how I am. So when I'm happy, I feel really happy. Mm-hmm. And when I'm sad, I'm like, this is my normal. But then I get really wrapped up into it, right? Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, what it means, sometimes level of contentment is different for everyone, but to feel joy and happiness, like with everything you've experienced in your life journey, is just on a different level, I feel, you know? And sometimes not everyone is there yet, right? We're all on this journey together.
6: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah.
6: yeah. I think <clears throat> kind of relating back to Elisa's story of like I'm growing, and I've I've changed, and like we out here, we're growing, and like sometimes no one's looking, no one's mm. paying attention, and no one sees it. But like, damn, if you know you're changing and mm. you're growing, like it feels good. Cause I I I really empathize with that piece of like being problematic when I was younger, growing up thinking that these habits were are normal um, and continuing that cycle. So a lot of my growing happened in college. But, you know, with social media and, like, those... I don't know if any of y'all are, use Facebook anymore. But <laughs> on Facebook, it'll, like, remind you of, oh, like...
0: the memories? Of uh, memories oh. and some of that shit. Like, damn,
6: I wrote some problematic stuff that I'm sh- so ashamed of. I would never say that now. But, like, it makes... I just want to, like, when I see it, I just want to be like, excuse me, I've changed. Like, mm-hmm. I'm growing. And for those who have seen what I've written or have been on the, the receiving end of things that I've said, like, I can't apologize and take all of that back. But what I want to let you know is that I'm growing mm-hmm. and I'm better. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, thank mm-hmm. you for sharing that piece
4: because
0: yeah. that's hard to really take ownership of some of those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're gonna be a if you decide to have kids when and if you're gonna be a adult mom. Hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right to the birthday parties.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so we're gonna be, we're all gonna be motherinas. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I'm, I'm a great aunt. Out there. It I'm will a always give nurse. your kid like
6: I'm happy to give the sex talk cause, you know. <laughs> <laughs>
3: We, we can co-parent. <laughs> <laughs> we can co-parent some more. <laughs> yes. It really
1: does take a village sometimes. Yeah, yeah. it does. Yeah. Find yeah. It,
3: like, a powerful group of women, <laughs> you know, women of color,
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I actually um, was going to go back to like bringing in the whole kid thing mm-hmm. with like how sometimes our family views like our gender or even our sexuality, if that has had any play within your family but um what Alma had brought up about like her story about how she said she doesn't want to like get married or possibly even have kids like I feel the same way and um (laughs) over winter break also was like recently at a family party where it's like all these families that I like never really see or I don't really know (laughs) like they're here and they're just talking to my mom and like a lot of them don't know my age I look like I'm 12 And, um, but I'm in my twenties, so (laughs) it's just like, they're already asking like, oh, what is she doing? Like, you know, is she planning on having kids or like this and that? And like my mom, she knows how I feel. Like both of my parents know how I feel about having kids and, um, in our earth and climate and everything that's going on. I personally don't think having kids, is like a good idea But I would love to adopt, which a lot of people don't really know, because I'm just like, no, I'm not having kids. There's no way I'm putting my body through that. Like, I shouldn't have to do that. And about marriage, that's like, I always think that marriage is a scam. But maybe one day I will want to get married. Like, who knows? It depends. (laughs) (laughs) But, like, my mom was telling this family member. (laughs) Um, My mom was telling, like, this family member, like, that... I'm set of not having children and she tells my mom and like I'm just over here in the corner like they're act- acting like I'm not there or something and I'm just like I'm right here you could talk to me you know but she was like oh she'll change her mind once she gets older you know and it's, that's the thing that everybody always says it's like oh they'll change their mind and I'm like no I probably won't because I'm like that I have that personality where it's like I know what I want and when I want it like I try my best to go after it, or, like, that's my own belief system, so have y'all ever had, like, any issues with that, or, like, any experiences where you're just, like, no, (laughs) um,
0: yeah, that was my mentality, too, I grew up being, like, I'm never gonna get married, I'm never gonna have kids, because I've been, I've been, I've been raising kids since I was 12, you know, like, I've been, um, I'm, I've legally guardians to my siblings since I was 18 you know and I knew from 16 that I would be they're my responsibility so I sign off on paperwork or I can you know I did all the like daycare runs I did the like first day of college scholarship stuff like that was me you know I like raising a teenager is hard and that's the best form of birth control too (laughs) um that and like having newborn uh preemie twin sisters you know like I was like I'm not doing this right also the that fear of my body and the pain um as far as you know because in my culture it's like oh you need to get married and then you have kids so I I was raised that mentality and so I was like well if I'm not gonna have kids then I don't need to get married right um and I remember having that mindset up until I was 26 27 and you know going about my life you know, I just thought I would be in education and have a dog. That would be my responsibility, <laughs> right? And I would just live with my parents and my siblings and like be that weirdo in the corner. Um, cut to, damn, I fell in love, <laughs> and it. I think falling in love made me realize, right, that there was this fear that no one would love me because of what I wanted out of my life or how my experiences have led me to where I am right now right and my parents are also divorced so that had a big part of how I view marriage as well like I always tell people don't get married if you don't want to Mm -hmm. I don't think my partner and I would have gotten necessarily married if there wasn't pressure from our family right um but we also like love each other and we realize that marriage is a joining of two families and so the fact that I can already be a part of his family, and he can be a part of mine, is very comforting. And so, you know, it can marriage. People want a wedding. People don't want a marriage. Is also like something we need to like put work into, right? It's hard every day you wake up and you have to consider other people, <laughs> like another person and their feelings and their decisions into your life. Like that's all hard work, right? Um, but yeah, for me personally. I realized that I didn't think I was worthy of love. I didn't think I was worth someone considering me and and loving me with their whole heart and making decisions with me in mind and you know my partner um, is constantly you need to be kind to yourself right and 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 I tell him that too because we are so hard on ourselves and each other and to have a partner in life for me right I speak for myself um it has been really nice and we both agree that we don't necessarily want children right now at least right accidents happen <laughs> um, but things like we both are like plant parents currently, right? Aww. Um and he wants more plants. And I'm just like, we don't have the time or the energy for this. But <laughs> you know, and, and both knowing that like we want puppies down the road or dogs, right? Like these are decisions that we get to make together. The values that our culture puts on us, we don't have to live by that, right? We don't have to have our relationship or our marriage be what our families even expect. That's a conversation between him and I. So if that's something like I would say Marriage doesn't have to be on the plate, but being open to love is a different conversation.
6: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, for me, it's funny. You know, <laughs> marriage is a scam. <laughs> I'm getting married is weird. <laughs> so, I I mean I resonate with how like what Sharon was saying and that like you know some people are in it for the wedding than the marriage and like. Yeah, yeah, that's so real, um, right? But for every for everyone else, I think we all take that concept of marriage very differently. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, really, it's just for my, my partner and I, it's just the next step for our relationship, but also recognizing that privilege mm-hmm. for us, you know, in as man and woman, you know, being able to get married Um, I think that's a huge, huge privilege, and I definitely recognize that. But, you know, we've been together, this is, we're about to, our relationship's about to be eight, (laughs) so that's, like, what, second grade? (laughs) Um, You know, but, you know, I, the last eight years, like, damn, we hella grew. Um, It was really problematic at the beginning because that was, my partner's, like, the only partner I've ever had in my whole life. And the reason being is because I was really, really scared of being the victim of another cycle. Mm. I saw how that happened with my parents. I saw that happen again multiple times with multiple sisters, um, you know, and that really hurt me. So I was really scared. So when you're saying opening yourself up to love, yeah. I wasn't sure if someone could love me. And I asked rather every day, do you love me? Like, yeah, of course. <laughs> but I ask every day because sometimes, you know, I get a little scared one day you won't because then you, you'll find out that I'm like really damaged.
4: Mm-hmm.
6: But we talk a lot of the times because of the work that we do. I process at home too, the things that my students talk to me about and I take it home. And like, we have conversations mm-hmm. about like, you know, I've been through this and this is how I feel. And like what do you think about that you know and so over time he's gotten to know these really deep layers of myself that I'm still figuring out to this day Um, and I feel really good to have someone support me and see me and see me grow Mm -hmm. because kind of going back to that I don't think a lot of people get to see that but my partner does Mm -hmm. every day that I wake up and we have these conversations it's just another day that we get to figure something a little new about each Mm -hmm. other so, in that aspect, it's great to have a partner that supports
3: me,
4: and I appreciate it. Yeah.
3: That's so cute <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned that for a long time you didn't, you know, have a partner, and I feel like I struggle with that because I have this like huge layer where, you know, I don't trust anyone, and then you know it takes even a while for me to open up to people, or like in my. You know as friends too but I think like you said you know just your your upbringing really can really damage you and you know create some wounds um
1: and your question about um what was your question um it was kind of like how has your gender or your sexuality affected like how your family views you mm-hmm. know, kind of so just whatever you want know, mm-hmm.
4: about that
1: like you know I don't I know my
3: parents, or my mom specifically, is always like, oh, well, when are you going to, like, introduce me to this person? But, like, also if I was really open, I think they'd be like, whoa, what? Like, what are you doing with your life? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, not to say, like, and I've had multiple uh, partners, but, like, not in, like... Like, in the dating world, but I think for them, they would be like, what you, what's going on? Um, and they wouldn't be able to accept that really well.
4: Um,
3: so I think there's always, for me, I'm not very open with my, my parents, or my mom, specifically, about a lot of things, specifically with, like, you know, dating, because she, she's a little older. She's 62. <laughs> she's a little,
0: like, old school about those mm-hmm. things. So That's so funny, because my mom is only 20 years uh, we're only 20 years apart, so she she was, like, she's, like, the young, cool mom, right? And there was a period of time where I didn't date. I was totally closed off, and she'd be, like, so what what's going do? on? Are you, like, it's okay if you are. If you're a lesbian, just let me know, <laughs> you know? Like, what 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 am I supposed to expect here? And I was, like, and I never answered her, right? Because I was, like, not ready to have those conversations of, like, where I am sexually or sexuality-wise or what my preferences are, what my partner's, you know, like, none of that I wanted to talk about with my mom, even though, like, she asked, like, outright, too.
3: Damn. That's so cool that you're so
0: close. What do you feel like a relationship also is? Well, that's why I I said in the beginning we didn't always get along, Um, (laughs) you know, but now I think my mom and I have a relationship that's really good. Mm. It's not always perfect. She's she's very, um, it's her way or the highway oftentimes. And she gets very like um, loud mm-hmm. <laughs> when she's not happy.
1: Sounds
0: like my mom. <laughs> <laughs> um, right? And But I have to remind myself it's because she loves me and it's because mm-hmm. she cares, but she's been taught She's the middle child, so she's been taught if you don't yell, you're not heard, mm-hmm. right? And that's her own thing, though. That doesn't have to be me, but I remember in my, in my relationships, I used to get very loud. Um, and I remember my, my partner now, my husband, he was like, why, why are you yelling? Why are you so <laughs> loud right now? Like, I'm trying to share how I feel with you, mm-hmm. and you're not listening. And that's when I realized I am taking on parts of my mom, right? And so, sorry, I kind of dive. Yeah, but like, you know, that relationship with our parents and how we learn from them and how love happens and how we express where we are in our relationships or our sexuality is like all wrapped up.
3: Yeah. I mean, for me, it's also because of that age difference, I think. And like different eras, different countries. (laughs) She was like, you know, born in an indigenous community and things are different there. And like I'm more urban in L.A., whatever. But we're so different. So I I think we just don't even talk about that. And sometimes like even my sister will want to talk to me about it. But then I still feel weird because Mm -hmm. she's like a mom and she's like eight, nine years older. But her daughter's 15. So she has this different like perspective. I just feel like with my family, I can't talk to them about certain things. Um, But they definitely, they're like, you're 25, why don't you have a kid? Why don't you have a partner? Like, what's going on? And it's so interesting to me because I'm, you know, I told them, like, I might be 50 and not have a kid, so, you know, just be okay with it. And, you know, just, I think, especially in the Latinx community, and I don't know if that's also the same for your communities, but, you know, there's this expectation you're young, you need to have kids and, you know, just continue that cycle of, like, maybe what our parents were doing at that age, but, no, like, it's 2020, we're in a different, (laughs) like...
0: Yeah. But my mom straddles that line of being, like, the cool, hip mom, but still having the mentality of what her parents raised her with. Mm. So she's constantly, like, you have to have at least one. I want to be a grandmother, <laughs> right? I want to, like, see my family, like, extend beyond my children. She doesn't have... She has that mentality, but then in the same vein, she, like, talks about her sex life and who she's dating and, like, all of that. And I'm she like, mom, cool mom, like... <laughs> mom. But I'm not always comfortable, right? Yeah. Because she's living her life, she's traveling, she's meeting people, and I'm like, okay, like, we're almost, I've, I've been the parent, I've been the, like, mom, it's 12 o'clock, you need to come back from your date, like, that's, that, that was my high school experience, you know, I, I was at home with the kid, and she was out on a
4: date,
0: you know, so, I think I like that guilt and that resentment is there too, but like how do you how do you talk about that cuz my mom also deserves to be happy. She's also a, a fully realized woman, you know, and she never got to date. She was she had a arranged marriage at 18. Mm-hmm. You know, so those are things that I didn't maybe didn't have the link lang- the language for, but like, <clears throat> you know, realized very early on that she deserves to be happy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I appreciate everybody for sharing, but I actually do
5: have a question. Um well, not a question, but more so a statement. Yeah. Um I have one thing that both of you ladies here had said, you, you use the word damaged, but I don't want you to view it as damaged, just maybe a work in progress. Mm-hmm. Um, cuz the way that we we f- say words and feel words, I think it just takes a bigger storyline in our head but like if you're saying damaged it's like shit all this bad stuff that's happening but it's Mm -hmm. like okay but if I'm a work in progress you're giving yourself that space and that grace Mm -hmm. to really just like work through it um so that's just one thing I wanted to say but regardless you're aware that Mm -hmm. there's there's more and that's okay um but yeah like with my mom and dating that's something that I think I just wanted to (laughs) to tell her about because I just like I had been in a relationship for three years. I think it took me, like, a year to even say anything. But then, like, just, like, through all the phases and then the breakup and then, you know what, mom, we're back together again. You know, just, like, all the stuff. I would just rather be transparent because I I feel like she has the questions but doesn't want to feel like she's invading the space mm. so she doesn't ask. But... I, I think me opening up, she's given me dating advice that's just made, like, a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. You know, like, stuff that maybe if my, if my dad and I were in a place in space back then that I could have asked, but she was the person who was there to talk to me about it. So, um, she can be old school, too. So there are certain things where I'm like, mm, I don't know how I feel about that mm-hmm. in 2020 now, you yeah. know, but, um... There are still some things that I think can apply, so I don't know. Maybe talk to your mom or something. <laughs> um, just maybe just be selective with what you ask. But I think um, my mom's been really helpful in that aspect. But uh, going back to your original question, or part of your original question with, like, the motherhood part, uh, seeing how the world is going these days, it makes me nervous to want to bring kids into And, like... <sighs> I really feel like we're gonna turn into Wall-E, like the movie. I I really, I really do. Like technology's becoming so ingrained and like integrated and comfortable for people, but I don't know if people are really like recognizing like the direction, like the potential that it could be, and that's what scares me. Um, But at the same time, I do wanna feel that moment of like looking down at your stomach and like knowing that there's a little, (laughs) You know, like a little human in there one day, you know, that just seems really cool. Um, Like, of course, the process, like through birth, that doesn't seem exciting.
0: (laughs) um, But apparently there are hormones that you forget all the (laughs) Exactly. But like, watch, I don't have that hormone.
5: (laughs) Right, right. But uh, like something that's super powerful for me that I just, I commend my mom she was she did um natural drug free births for me and my brother oh, me too. Oh. like that's intense and i would i want to be able to s- feel what she went through as well to an extent just to like yeah. you know just to know because our our ancestors' have been going through that forever too yeah. but um yeah, I don't know. I just want to experience. I do want to experience motherhood, but I'm scared because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. of you know just the way that the world's going. Outside of the technology part, the way people think or don't think, and um, the generational traumas that we've taken on. I just I would just want to be aware of my stuff and like working on it and healing it, um, so I don't project that on my kids. Because I really I, if I do bring kids into this world, I really do want them to be. Um, seeds mm-hmm. that continue to, like, blossom that good stuff to other people's lives in the world, too. But it's a big responsibility, so yeah. we'll see.
0: I will say purely around motherhood, I'm, I'm selfish. I don't want to share my partner. Mm, I don't yes. want to share my time. <laughs> I don't want to share my energy. I don't want to share my body. <laughs> like, you know, like, I... I have a fear that I'm also not going to be a good mom, um, and that I'm going to resent my children or my child. Ooh, don't put that out there. Um, And and I think that stems from like guilt, right? Um, I think I'll probably try to compensate and just be like this like Wonder Woman mother, and then I'll fail, and then I'll like traumatize this human being. Is my fear as well, and so like there's a selfishness of like wanting to not be that person. And then, like I said, I don't want to share my partner, because I know my partner. He, when he loves, he loves, Mm -hmm. and he loves openly, and he loves, like, this pure, light type of love, and he loves, like, my siblings, he will, like, go to the ends of the earth for my siblings, and he, like, is that person. So if it's his child as well, like, I'm like, oh, I'm going to be lost. I'm going to be, like, in the background, you know? Um, But he's also been like, no marriage is work, will work on us, right? I'm just like, I see I see so many people with children who I thought were like in similar type of relationships and they like, it's all about the child and they're so present and they're such wonderful parents and then I look at them and they're in marriage counseling. I'm like, I don't want that. Mm-hmm. So motherhood is just scary for me. Mm-hmm. And I'm also like 31. So everyone is constantly like, you just got married. It's been two years. We're like, you know, that kind of like dance around of like, so what's next? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Do you want to the last question? Yeah, I was yeah. Yeah. Did y'all want to say something? <laughs> oh. <laughs> OK, I have to say um,
3: no, it's uh, earlier on. Y'all were mentioning about like your beautiful relationships with your mm-hmm. partners and like how you can talk to them and it just like it just sounds okay. I don't even know them, right? but like, <laughs> it just sounds like such a beautiful relationship and just like also it sounds like you know you're able to heal with them mm-hmm. um, and. Uh, earlier, or last year, was it last year? Yeah. Last year in November, mm-hmm. um, this film came out called Queen and Slim. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if any of you have watched it. Mm-hmm. I haven't. I want mm-hmm. to see it so no. <laughs> oh god. Okay. okay, I watched it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so our mom and I were talking about it when it first came out because it, like, impacted me so much. I left crying mm-hmm. in the theater twice because I saw it twice. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't watch movies like, mm-hmm. in theaters mm-hmm. ever. Mm-hmm um and it was just like to see that relationship on on the screen of like two black people and like the love that they had for each other it was like healing at the same time like that it was just so like a radical thing to see that I'm not used to seeing in Mm -hmm. in you know movies ever and that just reminded me of that so y'all should watch that movie it's so intense. Huge trigger warning. I wish I would have known. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I kind of knew. But I didn't realize, like, dang it. Like, the ending is so, like, I don't even know. I don't even have words to explain it. Like, I'm going to make a
5: sound, like. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think a lot of people are ready for that. I'm scared. Yeah. Okay. Oh, no, like, okay. don't be scared. It, it's just, it, it's reality. Mm. Cool. Yeah, okay. like, you just, you never really, you never know. Okay. But at the end of the day, like, we've all heard of, like, people who do this to other people. I think Especially, that's a good like, for
3: folks of color. Yeah. Like, our communities are always under attack. Mm. And that's kind of the reality that we face. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. That's wild. Yeah. Um, so, I have one more question mm-hmm. for y'all. Um, so, you all work, you know, different cultural and identity-based centers here on campus. So, and you guys are all women of color, and it's just, like, amazing to have you all here and to be able to look up to y'all. But um, one question that I had is, can you talk about, like, how you got to this position, especially as a woman of color, and, like, some of the challenges that you face getting there?
0: Ooh. That's a, that, that could have been the entire podcast. Honestly, yes. I was like, this whole podcast,
1: I, I could keep talking about.
0: Different things. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> we just didn't no know. Did uh, Jenny got uh, the go. <laughs> yeah,
6: I pointed at you too. I should have done <laughs> uh, yeah. Um oh, That's a lot. To think about and process but to like a quick overview of you know getting involved in the Gender Equity Center Um, in my undergrad I studied um, health science and did a lot of work around violence prevention um, that got me involved with the Gender Equity Center because a lot of our work is to raise issues uh, to raise awareness on gender-based issues and a lot of that involving things like violence Mm -hmm. Um, in particular um, we're talking about the binary than women and girls um and that was something that was my passion project because that was me um and so i I did a lot of the work because i felt like in the in this process not only am i able to give back but it's also my journey to self-healing um and that's why every day like being in this role um i get the opportunity to dialogue with my students, or even sh- students I've never met before, around these really difficult issues because it matters and we really do need to talk a little bit more about it. And there's a lot of stigma in what that could look like, or there are misunderstandings about what abuse could even be, or maybe a lot of underplaying of like. You know they did this because they love me. I've heard that because I've been it, been in it where it's like no, they treat me this way because they care. They treat me this way because they love me. They say this because they're they're looking out for me, and I just want to be a part of that change to what we've all been saying is these cycles. Um, so it's it's tough, Um, and then that you put on those other layers of like being women, you put on that layer of being a person of color, you put on that layer of being a young professional. And damn, it gets really hard to like navigate. But I, I get to dialogue with these folks. You know, lunch. We have lunch and learns, <laughs> and normal coordinators, where we we have lunch and then we get into these deep topics. And like, I don't, I don't get a lot of opportunity to do that with every group of friends that I have. So there are certain groups of friends that are at the space or at. are are there with me that are ready to have these conversations and it would suck not to be able to have that space Mm -hmm. so I feel very
0: fortunate to do that um I think I'm going to touch on like the latter part of what you just said like yeah it all of us kind of look like we're still students here (laughs) 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 Uh, at at various degrees right (laughs) so Um, That is genetics, you know. (laughs) Um, But for my personal journey, I've worked at three different institutions at this point at various uh, levels, a private, a UC, and a CSU. Um, And I will say that I've consistently been the only South Asian or Pacific Islander in the room half the time. Um, I'm often asked questions like... Or, or the, the question, when I ask questions, I, I, I am a, uh, um, I like to be very strategic in the work that I do and how I do it, right? Thinking about voices and students at the center. Um, and so, I and I'm also, like, I love learning. I love learning. And the, and the way that I learn is through questions. And I feel like it may annoy people who've been doing this work for, like, 5, 10, 15, 20 years, but I'm just... <coughs> I'm not trying to challenge people in a a, like why are we doing it like I'm not I'm seriously asking questions like oh why is this process this way you know it's because I'm just trying to learn and I feel like that results in this like well as this person in this role you should know Mm -hmm. right and it's like sometimes yeah I do know I do know like you know, why logistically something is this way, but if it's only because it's been done that way for the last 10 years, maybe it's not working, you know? Like, I think we should be all critical of where we are in our positions. I've been in my position, I'm about to reach four years in this current position, Um, I guess if you count my interim uh, year in this role, and I, I want every semester every year to consider the changing population of students. I think that makes me a good practitioner, right? But then I feel like because of maybe the way that I look or maybe the way that I um, try to connect to whatever is being said, it gets taken as like a challenge. Mm -hmm as like I'm rebellious and I definitely am and can be rebellious um you know I was labeled a troublemaker in grad school for a reason um but I think if we're really putting social justice pedagogies into the center of our framework we need to uh be critical and so I do think that as a professional young looking (laughs) woman of color um I get a lot of um, you should know, right? Or maybe statements along that, that frame of thinking. And it's resulted in me um, sometimes having to be quiet and just listen and then do the work to the, to the way that I can and push when I think I, I can, um, right? And I think that speaks to... There's a, a huge trend in higher ed currently where largely... Um, young professionals, people of color are leaving higher ed um, because it's frustrating um, so it just people are either leaving institutions or they're just leaving the field and that is a, a trend that is currently happening and I think it's speaking to this frustration of us of this generation of professionals in higher education wanting to do things differently or understand and learn and figure things out in a different approach but uh, resistance or maybe not resistance but the institution not being able to work with this new uh, perspective right if we're going back to our earlier conversations of healing if we're trying to put that healing practices into our work right and knowing that the foundations of higher ed weren't created for us to not only study in it, but to work in it, then obviously there's going to be imbalance or there's going to be friction of some sort. So for my personal relationship in this field, it's been of friction, but it's also been of joy. It's also, my favorite time of the year is graduation because it's sad, but it's also so amazing to see families and to see that student that's been struggling for the fa- last four, five, six, seven, whatever years to be like, I'm done and made it, you know, and I, I love having students come back in the fall who graduated and said, I got that job. Thank you for being my reference. Thank you for helping me write my grad app. Thank you for connecting me with people. Thank you for being my advisor. I wish I could have asked you to be my formal advisor or my mentor, you know? Like, they come back and they say it, it feels really good, but to just see it, right? There's an article that was recently released that, that's something along the title of, like, once you're my student, you will always be my student or something like that. And I read it and I was like, yeah, like, I'm quietly always cheering for my kids. I am always quietly, like, your biggest fan because I see my siblings in all of you, right? And um, we're, we wouldn't be here if we didn't give a shit, like, <laughs> you know, in some level. Um, so, yeah, that's that's my thing. So for me, um,
5: I was I was interested in this because um, for the work I used to do when I was in undergrad, so I was, I was involved on campus and working with the black community. Um, so it's, it's like there were certain things that I knew my friends and I talked about wishing that we had or hoping that we could see. And um, as a student here, there was the task force So I used to work with the task force, too, and being able to see certain events happening or certain things that used to happen or certain organizations that used to be active that are no longer active. Um, So it's for me, my overall goal that I want to achieve um, are just being able to give students things that either used to be here or should have already been here. Even like it shouldn't have it shouldn't take a center to do the work that should already be here for the students. Um, But at the same time I recognize that there are different goals that universities have and if opening centers is gonna have to be the thing that makes the goal happen, then so be it, I guess. Um, But I would say the challenges that I faced as a woman, um, sometimes I feel like people don't trust my word and I don't know if it's because I'm a woman or because I'm a new professional. Um, Like it could either be that a student might identify as a man and it's just like well they kind of just need that second opinion um from someone else or i don't know if it's because it's my level um as being a new professional and a program coordinator okay well now i have a director and sometimes they might think like well okay well she might not have all the answers so let me just go to the director first or after the fact just to make sure that um this is what's really going on And that's another thing that I guess I have an issue with is finding my voice because I feel like now that I do have a director, I feel like I do have to even get that second opinion for myself to know if that's okay or was that the right thing to say. Um, And when I first started, similar to Sharon, we didn't have a director. Um, So we were having to make decisions on our own, and that's something that uh, even my mom... And tries to help me remember and recognize like you did this Alone before so you have the capability to make these decisions again. Um, so don't feel like you can't Speak up for yourself or make certain things happen um, But then at the same time I, ha- I think I have issues with finding my voice when it comes to delegation um, because I mean, that's something I've always kind of struggled with through the college career, of trying to, like, delegate tasks as an organization or even when I used to work at Panda at the union. Um, just trying to tell people, like, to do things that I know I can already do, but why is it that I have to take care of it?
0: Mm-hmm.
5: You know, like, that's...
0: color, guy Take everything yeah, on, <laughs> It's
5: It's frustrating. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, like, in order to get the the bus moving, you have to delegate because you can't take care of everything on your mm-hmm. own. Um, so I think that's a, an interesting fence that I straddle as a new grad and a professional at the same university that I was just here at. So sometimes I feel like it's hard to to get certain things across because I don't know whether or not um, this is like the best thing to do right now or if I'm ready for it or whatever it may be, but... Um, yeah, it's a lot of self-discovery and a lot of maybe acceptance in certain areas, but it's, it's a big, it's been a, le- a big learning curve, but I think overall I'm growing. But I think I also need to step into my power and recognize like I'm here for the reason that I'm here for, so I need to just work in that and make it happen. But it's been difficult, but I'm glad to be here overall.
0: And I'm so glad
5: you're here. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm so <laughs> glad we
0: have our little Pepper Gang. I'm so glad.
5: I'm so glad I've met all of you. Like, yeah. just being here in this podcast and, uh, like, now here go my tears. We will cry. So, I'm, I'm just really glad that I've met all of you. Um, even though, like, maybe some of these things have brought us together through struggle. Um, Yes, of course, we've We've had a lot of joy, but a lot of things have happened um, through, like, the struggles we had to go through. But I'm so grateful to have taken this time. Thank you for setting this up, yeah. setting up this podcast, because it's like, I'm not saying we wouldn't have gotten here on yeah. our own, because even Sharon and I have had our own, like, conversations, but it's like... We 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 don't take enough time to like yeah. hold space and talk about like the shit because we have to do reconciliations, or plan this program, and it's like <laughs> there's a student that's like Jenny, I need to talk God. to you, something happened. Yeah, <laughs> but I'm I'm so thankful and grateful like yeah. that we're here, and I'm so thankful for the stuff that we've all shared, and um this it can be really hard to be in this position, but at the same time, I just know I'm so grateful to be here, regardless of everything, I'm so grateful. So, thank you, yeah, and thank,
0: thank you. you. Thank you for being you here.
3: Yeah, sure. So, and how I got into this position, so like all of um, my other lovely program coordinators, um, they, I, I was also involved in you know, uh, my Chicanx, Latinx, Sent, it was Chicanx Latinx Resource Center at UC Santa Cruz and I was involved there for my whole undergraduate and um, I think just being in that space I really was able to meet people that literally became like my family. And so being in a space like that was so cool. We, we had a, a group of uh, student interns that was about like 20 to 30 students. and. Afterwards, like we would work and then we would take like the gang and go do shenanigans, you know, all of us, but we were so close and we could have these conversations with one another and be really real and you know, challenge each other. And just seeing how that space really helped shape who I am, um, I just saw really a big value in having a center like that. And so, when I heard about the position uh, here at San Jose State and knowing that it was new, it was so just, I was so happy because I just know what that space meant for me and so um, knowing that that could be a space for other students as well that could have, you know, a similar experience was very special to me and so that's how um, I found out about just the San Jose State position and I was really eager to come here because, you know, there's a lot of folks of color, um, and, you know, just being more surrounded with, I was living in Santa Cruz and there was like a lot of white people, (laughs) and (laughs) I had to get away because it was just too toxic after a while, Um, and so just coming here, it just felt really good, and um, some challenges that I faced, I think as a, also a young looking woman, um, and sometimes even like within the community. I think also as a, you know, Indigenous woman, sometimes I feel like um, it can be challenging within that space as well because sometimes I see like the appropriation of my own culture by folks who are not Indigenous. And, you know, um, I hope that, you know, I still haven't found my voice of how to address those certain things or even um, within my community. Um, and the work that I do, but I hope that the, you know, programs and, you know, uh, workshops that go on at the center can help address those issues and to ensure that, you know, we're all becoming really rad folks mm-hmm. when we leave outside of this institution. Um, but also I just really feel grateful to have a really great group of colleagues and, you know, I don't think it would have been the same experience without them. and. You know, I am so grateful. And even to have, like, really dope students yes. that can, like, you know, we can have really great conversations about different types of things, issues, and or, like, even memes or videos that you find <laughs> online. And I'm just like, well, what videos are you showing me? Um,
0: Is this appropriate? Right.
3: <laughs> but, you know, like, I just feel really grateful to be where I'm at. And I've been very fortunate also to work, with a director that's really supportive and
0: like... I love Lily. I
3: love (laughs) Lily too, and she's just so great, and I I just feel really fortunate to be surrounded by some badass women too. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, I also wanted to say that, you know, I think when I first got into this position, I heard some people or maybe it was in my own mind, people say that um, maybe that I'm now giving into the institution because I'm working for the institution. So I also want to address that, like, you know, not everybody who works in positions within higher education necessarily devote themselves and praise the institution. Mm -hmm. um, Because a lot of us are here to challenge that in whatever form it takes, but, you know, just because we work for the institution doesn't mean that we solely are here for them mm-hmm. because we're here for students and that's really what probably keeps a lot of us, like
1: myself, still here.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah.
1: You all are dismantling the beast from the inside mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> sometimes it's hard, sometimes we have to shut our mouth and do it because it's part of policy and being part of the CSU means... There's a lot of policies that sometimes I don't even know about. And I'm like, oh, okay. Um, but yeah, sometimes I feel like I, I have to make decisions and, you know, show up in ways that I don't necessarily agree with. And I'm not happy. And I make it very, very clear that I'm not happy. Um, and that's part of part of this work for me. You know? And sometimes you just have to somehow be a part of
3: those like areas Mm -hmm. or kind of not give in but you give in to kind of know what that's like and then know also how to address those
1: issues Mm -hmm. and you just kind of have to play both sides
4: yeah yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: you gotta be in it in order to change it sometimes yeah
4: Yeah. um
1: but yeah thank you for being a part of this podcast Jenny did you want to say anything no oh okay. <laughs> well I appreciate all of you for just being here and especially with that last question but because I was being a little selfish and like I was thinking you know I want to continue doing the type of work that I have been doing at the Caesar Chavez Center and I want to possibly bring that to higher education and be able to be in the position that you are all in and like inspiration and change things so thank you so much for being a part of this and for allowing us to create this space with you all um so just to actually I've, i did want to mention
3: if anyone's also listening to this and is a san jose state student or just a student in general and i know we talked about different issues that could be you know definitely triggering mm-hmm. or you know bring up th- certain things that there are you know counseling psychological services or, you know, if there's folks like us at our centers that you can come and talk to or, you know, reach out to someone as well,
4: mm-hmm.
3: um, even if you're not part of San Jose State
1: or, you know, just reach out to someone mm-hmm.
4: for help. Yeah, thank you for
1: bringing that up. Um, but to end the podcast, mm-hmm. if you enjoyed this conversation <laughs> and listening to all the topics that we had to discuss, um, <laughs> Alma and I will be having a workshop on February 20th that's called Mujer Divina or the Divine Feminine and within that workshop we'll be diving more into similar conversations like this more focused within the Latinx community and also indigenous communities as well um so if you are interested in continuing this conversation please come to our workshop especially if you identify as um a woman, or even if you don't identify as a woman and you identify as a man or an ally, please come because it's open to everybody and we want to be able to have this space open for more than just one community.
2: It's going to be in the student union meeting room 3B. What time? From 5 to
3: (laughs) 7. I heard there's food.
2: There is food.
1: And is it free? It is free. Also, there will be an art component. So come do some art. I'll be there. (laughs) I think I'll be there, too. All right.
2: Thank you all. Thank you all for listening, for participating,
5: for opening up. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>